If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. New Testament book of 1 Peter chapter 2. This morning we will only read verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2. While you're turning there, allow me to share with you if you're a visitor or just back for the first time in a little bit. We are working through a vision series called Life Directions. Thinking about what kind of people we want to be in this church. I've said over and over again, we hope, I believe, to be a people of the gospel. And the gospel, when you pay attention to scripture, never leaves someone the same. It always moves them to a new life. It moves them into a new direction. So we've been thinking about that. If, if you've missed some of those messages you call this place home or you're just interested in our church family, I would encourage you to go to our website, fbccj.com directions, and avail yourself to them. If you call this place home and you've missed one of these directions, I'm asking you to go and watch that this week. They all connect, and we're going to consider these more and more down the road. We've thought about how we should respond and worship upward. Last week, we talked about how we should commit as a church family, as a team. And this week, we're going to think about how the gospel propels that family out, outside of its comfort zone, outside of normal, out into the world to proclaim outward. With all that in mind, let's read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is the word of the Lord. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Percy Fawcett could not sit still and just let someone else go. Fawcett, the inspiration for the fantastic book and the much more boring movie, The Lost City of Z, was a fellow of the Royal Geographic Society, a group of explorers from Great Britain who would go across the world to find treasure. Over and over again, Fawcett leaves his home and his family behind. His wife and his son, he leaves it all to search the Amazon River to find a lost city of riches and wonder. Describing the Royal Geographic Society's mission, the president once said this, there is not a square foot of the planet's surface to which we should not at least try to go. And you have to give Percy Fawcett credit for this. He tried. He disappeared trying, but he tried. All for a treasure he would never find. Brothers and sisters, if we are truly a family of Christ, we have a treasure 
that cannot fade away. We have a city of wonder and glory ahead of us. A treasure that the one Percy Fawcett was looking for could not compare, and the world is looking for something to satisfy them. Since Jesus moved out of heaven, out of glory, to come to us, to bring us this wealth and treasure and life, there is not a square inch of this earth that we in this room should not at least try to go. If the gospel truly changes your life, you are compelled to get that message out. Peter is showing us this truth, brothers and sisters. When Jesus shares the riches of his grace, you cannot keep that treasure to yourself. Right off the front, let's just ask how many of us are keeping the treasure to ourselves? If the gospel changes your life, it's impossible. You must proclaim outward. We're going to divide this verse into two. There are two halves, two sides to the outward direction that I want to show you in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. The first direction is our position in Christ. Our position in Christ. Read verse 9 again with me. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There are five phrases in verse 9 that describe our position in Christ. Let me share this with you. If you are a believer in Christ, this is who you are. This is how God sees you every day of your life. The best day of your life, this is who you are. The worst day of your life, this is who you are. It is your position. It is fixed. That's good news. But, brothers and sisters, hear me. If you have never turned to Jesus Christ and trusted him for salvation, this is not your position. But it is what your position could be. Five phrases. The first one, Peter says, you are a chosen race. Now, some of you are asking, what does this mean? Well, it's really interesting. And it's pretty technical. If you study the Greek language here about what Peter's saying when he says you are a chosen race, do you know what it means? It means you're a chosen race. It means God chose you. It means God selected you. It means God elected you. It means God picked you. That's what it means. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, some of you are asking the question that was asked of me a couple years ago. If God chooses, how can you tell us that we should go and proclaim? 
If God elects the church, how can we believe in missions and evangelism? I thought this was supposed to be about outward. You may think you have me trapped here, but it's actually really simple, and I love this question. I'm excited to answer this question. How can I believe both of these things, that God chose his people and that we should proclaim outward? Number one, the Bible says God chose us. Number two, Jesus commands us to go. And that's all I need to know. Brothers and sisters, that is all we need to know. And listen, if this is causing you some trouble, I would encourage you to go back and read the founding documents of this church who has endorsed the Baptist faith and message 2000 since the year 2000, which both endorses election and the Great Commission. This defines who we are and who we have been. We are a chosen race. Look, these two ideas are not competitors or rivals. They're partners. Think about this. Romans chapter 9, the greatest chapter in the Bible on election, is followed by what chapter? Romans chapter 10. That was an easy one. Romans chapter 10 is the greatest chapter in the Bible on evangelism. Paul gives the one-two punch back to back. They work together. Jesus had no problem with this. That's why in John 10, verse 16, he says this. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Let me remind you, from him... And through him and to him are all things. Guess what that means? From him and through him and to him are his choice and his commission. They both are from him and through him and to him. Listen, if you're really struggling with this, you're really fighting against yourself here. You're fighting against the most encouraging, the most assuring the most joy-giving, life-giving truth from Scripture. You are fighting against your own blessings in Christ. If your position is chosen by God, you can rest because there is nothing that can pluck you out of His hand. Next two phrases come from God's message to the people of Israel in Exodus 19, verse 6. He says that we are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. I want you to read those words and just think about it for a minute. A royal priesthood. That means, brothers and sisters, everyone in Christ, every member of this church who is a believer in Christ is a priest. God gives every single one of his children access to himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just play, let's just get practical real quick. Do you know what that means? When I come over to your house for dinner, you don't need me to pray for dinner. All right? You're a priest too. And if you cook that dinner and you're bringing me over as a visitor, you pray for that meal. 
if there's a need in this church family, like that needs to get done right now, you know what this means? You don't need me. You don't even necessarily need one of the pastors or even one of the deacons. You are a priest. Someone needs prayer. Don't bring them up the aisle to me. You're a priest. Pray for them. Pray with them. Encourage them. God's teaching you something in your walk with him, I'm assuming. Use that. We are a royal priesthood. My words are no better than yours. Whatever prayer you pray tonight is just as good as mine. My position before God is no different. He sees me no different than anybody in here. Revelations 1, verse, excuse me, I just said Revelations. There is no book in the Bible called Revelations. It is Revelation. Excuse me, old school church got into me for a second. Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. I hope some of you are with me. All right? This is what John says. Jesus made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen? But we're not only priests. There's more. Who are we? We are a holy Nation. Oh my goodness, I could go somewhere with this. I don't have time. We are a holy nation. How does God see you this morning? We feel like that changes based on our performance. Up and down, depending on our obedience and disobedience. You may think that you can only show up to church if you've had a good weekend, and you definitely can't show up on Sunday morning if you had a bad Saturday night. Or if you had a fight with your family in the car, you're trying to get to church, well, you might as well get back in the driveway and not show up. You show up next week. That's how we act. But Peter says this is our position. Jesus, because of the work he did for us, allows us to stand before God as holy all the time. God sees you as set apart, dedicated to him. Now, you want to figure out what this means. Listen to this. This is what the word holy is used to describe in Scripture. The word holy is used to describe the holy temple of Israel and the holy of holies where the people of Israel would worship God. The word holy is used to describe the holy city of Jerusalem, the city that God chose. It, the word holy is used of the holy mountain of transfiguration where Jesus showed Peter, James, and John all of his glory. The word holy is used to describe the Old Testament prophets who prophesied about the Messiah coming. The word holy is used to describe this book, the holy writings, the holy scriptures. And in the same breath, this book looks at you and says, you are holy too. That's why in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, the writer says, therefore, Holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. 
Colossians 1.22, Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Lastly, Peter tells us at the beginning of verse 9 that we are a people for his own possession. One of the tools that I've used in my family for a time to train my children up in the way of the Lord is a resource called the New City Catechism. First question, it's based off the Heidelberg Confession. The first question in the New City Catechism is, what is our only hope in life and death? And the answer is that we are not our own, but belong to God. Do you hear that? That is the founding truth of this study in Scripture. We are not our own, but belong to God. When God owns you, when you are a person of his own possession, he can never disown you. He can never forsake you or leave you. Malachi chapter 3, verse 17, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Amen. Lastly, Peter, giving us our identity, says that we are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see that phrase, called out? of darkness into his marvelous light. What is that? Look at that phrase and tell me what it is. Ezra's trying to tell me. Are you going to tell me? It is a message of movement. Do you see it? We're called out of darkness into marvelous light. We have been transplanted. That's why if you keep reading in 1 Peter, look at verse 10. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Colossians 1. Man, I should have some amens this morning. But some of y'all, this is your testimony. This is your story. And it's just like old news to you. Come on, people. Colossians 1 verse 13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. I want you to look at that verse. And you got to take all of them. You can't just pick one, right? Or three out of four, four out of five. You got to take the whole thing. They're connected. I want you to look at them. And before God, I want you to talk to him right now and ask him, is this my position? Is this how you see me? The book of Romans tells us that the Holy Spirit, his work is to affirm in the children of God through the Spirit, that we are children of God. And so if you bring this to the Lord, these descriptions of his people, and ask God in prayer, God will confirm this in your life, or he will speak to the truth that it is not a part of your life. But you have to give him the right to speak.
Has there been a time when God came to you and called you out of darkness, transferred you into light? Has, has there been a time when you moved to turn from your sin and trust in what Jesus did on the cross, in his death on the cross, and his resurrection from the grave? Has there been a time in your life where you gave everything up in your life to receive God's mercy over you? Friend, I think, I really think that a whole lot of us, if we really investigate our lives and we think about the fact the gospel is supposed to move us, it's supposed to call us to respond upward in worship, it's supposed to make us commit inward and to give our lives to the body, and it's supposed to move us out to proclaim the gospel, and we look at our lives, there's not that kind of movement. In fact, there's a whole lot of stagnant, staying still, just doing the same thing over and over again. Brothers and sisters, if there's no movement, can we really say there's an identity? Before God, has there really been a time where that kind of movement, that kind of change, that kind of transformation, that kind of God miracle power has happened in your life? Where there's a before and there's an after. There's a darkness and there's a light. There's an old you, there's a new you. You were crucified and raised up a new person. Romans 10 verse 13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If God is sharing with you that this identity does not describe you, call on the Lord Take him up on his promise. He will move in your life in a way you have never seen before. Listen, if this is how God sees you, you really ought to be jumping out of your seat, thanking God for his grace. Everything that we just listed, you are not. God doesn't care that you're American. You weren't a holy nation. God doesn't care that you're white. You were not a chosen race. You were lost in your sin, dead to the world. And God made you a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So ascribe him the glory that he deserves because he did that. And he is worthy to be praised. And when you experience that salvation, it's not enough just to have a worship moment with you and God alone. It moves you further down. When the gospel hits, it moves you. And your, your identity, your position in Christ changes the trajectory of your life. Listen, your it does this everywhere. Your identity makes you go. Not wearing my jersey today, but I could because I'm still on the team. When you go to a game and you wear a jersey, you're a fan. You, like, you live your life for that team, and you tell people about how much you love that team. You tell people why that team's so great. You tell people who your favorite player is. When you wear, oh my goodness, I'm going there. When you wear that red cap... You go around the world and tell everybody how to make America great again. 
That's just what you do. Because it's your identity and it drives you to go say something. I'm just making an example, okay? No judgment calls here. But your identity, it moves you, right? When you're a parent, let's go to safer territory. When you're a parent, that's your identity. What do you do? You show people pictures. You talk about your kids. You brag about their achievements. It moves you. And then you become a grandparent. It gets even worse. So you know, I've got you. If we claim all of these things are our identity and our position in Christ, then what should we expect? That's why Peter shows us our purpose for Christ at the end of this verse. Look at verse 9 again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, magic word, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We looked at five phrases for our position. There's only one phrase for our purpose. Why does God make us who we are? Why does he give us this position and this identity? It's right there in the four-letter word that. That we may proclaim the excellencies of him. If you connect the dots, God made us who we are so we could do the first direction and respond upward and worship him and, and give him the glory he deserves. To proclaim his excellencies. What does that mean? It means you were made to declare God's greatness. You exist to sound his praises. You live on this earth to publish abroad his merits. You have breath in your lungs for the sole reason that God wants you to announce his virtues. The only reason that you have life today is to advertise his miraculous power. You are here to speak out his glorious name. The reason for our calling, the why behind our salvation. Listen, you got to hear your, your salvation isn't for you to have a ticket to heaven. The why isn't so that you could get out of hell. The why isn't so that you could see lost relatives who pass before you. It isn't even just so that you could live forever. The why isn't you. The why is his excellency. It's to glorify his name. We exist to proclaim the gospel. That's it. I'm going to get really practical. 
But we got to affirm that truth together right now. We exist to proclaim the gospel. That is it. We exist to magnify his name. That is it. Our sole purpose is to verbalize the hope that is within our heart. Now, I know in this room, some of us, the church forever has wanted to like make this softer and, and make it easier. So I know some of us, what about our actions? What about works? What about service? What about helping people? What about those actions? Don't they matter? And they do. I'll be honest. Look at verse 12. Show you some scriptural warrant for that. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Can't spend a lot of time here, but this even tells us that within that transaction, our good works need some translating. Because they're going to see the good works and they're going to need to know where they come from and why they're there. And so unless they have explanation, they ain't going to turn around and glorify God. And they got to be able to see them. Our gospel actions matter, but listen, our gospel words matter more. James says, faith without works is dead. Brothers and sisters, works without words is a death sentence. In their book, Total Church, Tim Chester and Steve Timmis write this. No, I want you to hear this. The gospel is a message. And so mission only takes place as we share that word with people. Otherwise, we simply form good relationships that never go anywhere. We exist to proclaim the gospel. We must speak it. We must share. It is our purpose. Romans 10, verse 14 and 17, Paul says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So everybody that was struggling with the chosen race earlier should have been really amen in that one right there. That was for the other side of the table. We must proclaim the gospel. I want to ask a series of questions about this truth, and I need you to stick with me. Who is supposed to proclaim his excellencies? Anybody in the first list. If you want to raise your hands, and I thank you for those who did, and say that I am part of that list. I'm the chosen race. I'm the royal priesthood. I'm the holy nation. I'm all of this in Christ. You just signed up. 
Because if that's your identity, here is your purpose. You really want to follow Christ? Here's the mission. Now, not everyone is a preacher. Not everyone is a foreign missionary. Everyone in Christ is a proclaimer. Now, let's connect some dots. We talked about this last week. Who does the church need to proclaim the gospel? It needs the whole body, every joint, each part working properly. We've gotten this so backwards, brothers and sisters. Maybe even this morning, I know for sure, oh my goodness. We think we just need a guy like me up here to proclaim the gospel once a week and we can invite some lost people into a room. They'll hear it. They're saved. Great. Then go rest of our week, Monday to Saturday, do whatever we want, invite somebody back next Sunday. The one proclaimer will get to do his job. They get saved. Great. Church is not the place you invite people to. Because church is our identity, our position that never changes. We are as much church when we leave these doors than when we come in. Church is a position you go show people in your everyday, regular, mundane life, in your everyday, regular, mundane conversations, and you proclaim his excellencies. Maybe you do it together with your family, every joint, every member together, living life together, proclaiming the gospel together. And Sunday is just icing on the cake to come back and respond upward in worship. That's what's supposed to happen. I'm the equipper, remember? In Ephesians chapter 4, and who do I equip? The saints. Yes, I equip the saints. Who's that? The saved people. To do what? Proclaim his excellencies. Who proclaims his excellencies? I do, you do, we do, we all do. That's church. Warren Wiersbe says, each citizen of heaven is a living advertisement for the virtues of God and the blessings of the Christian life. Man, we are just getting started. When and where are we supposed to proclaim his excellencies? Wherever and whenever your position remains. If you wake up tomorrow and you're still a part of those people... You still have the purpose. If you go to a new job, if you go to your school, if you go on vacation, if you move to another country, if you go anywhere and that's your position in Christ and God still sees you as holy, you still have that purpose. It's not locked into some building. It's not locked into this one-hour program. It's everywhere. Anywhere, anytime. That's why Matthew chapter 28, Pastor Brian read it earlier, the literal translation of the Great Commission is not go make disciples. It is, Jesus said, as you are going, make disciples. It's continuous. Continuous. 
that never ends till he returns. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Brothers and sisters, hear me. If we're going to think forward, God help us to do that. If we're going to think forward, we have to radically change everything we think we know about outward. We have to radically change the way we see proclaiming the gospel, the way we think about living outward, the way we think about doing outreach. We have to radically transform the way we do it all. We cannot limit outward the way we have. Brothers and sisters, hear me. We cannot memorize some outreach outline, host an event, do evangelism Tuesday nights, and just check outward off our list. We cannot just write a check and pat ourselves on the back because we accomplished our purpose in being outward. For all of our good intentions, brothers and sisters, listen, we cannot open a daycare, leave it to the professionals, and pat ourselves on the back for making a difference to the generations. And just How many of you have proclaimed his excellencies to a learning center family? We say we're doing outreach. How many of us even have a relationship where that could even exist? We cannot just do a fundraiser. Send out whatever we've collected. And smile because we're reaching the nations. We can't just do that. Listen, it's, it's too simple. It's too easy. We can't just do these programs and events to check off our boxes, pat ourselves on the back and feel good and move on and live the rest of our life as if church doesn't exist. Our outward identity does not have an on-off switch. It cannot be programmed into a calendar. Our purpose to proclaim cannot be compartmentalized. So what do we do going forward? What does outward, what is proclaiming outward, what does living outward really look like, brothers and sisters? I need you to pray for some gospel imagination because some of you have been in church for 40, 50, 60, 70 years, and it's always been like this, except in the New Testament. There is a life that God is calling us to, an outward life to proclaim the gospel wherever we go. What would that look like? I'm going to go back to Total Church, read a quote, and try to help you catch the vision. Steve Timmis and Tim Chester write this. Evangelism 
is not an activity to be squeezed into our busy schedules. Evangelism is an intention we carry with us throughout the day. That means, listen, most true gospel ministry involves ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Whether it is helping a friend, working at the office, going to the movies, there is a commitment to building relationships, modeling the Christian faith, and talking about the gospel as a natural part of our conversation. Brothers and sisters, what would it look like if we, the people who claim the identity of Christ and that people of his own possession, actually lived with gospel intentionality? What would it look like in Carl Junction if this church didn't think about outreach with the used to language, but we started living out who we are in our homes, welcoming people in, intentionally engaging the conversation to get to the cross? What if we invested in our neighborhoods, maybe even had a party outside and brought people over, and not just the Christians in our Sunday school room, but the non-believers in our neighborhood, and intentionally weave those relationships together so that we could expose the non-believing neighbors around us to the gospel hope that transforms us into a family? What if we leveraged our jobs? Not just to better our bank accounts, but to expose ourselves to more and more people in this community who need Christ. We didn't view church as something we did on Sunday and work something we did on Monday, but we went into work as the church. Brothers and sisters, The gospel would move us, and we could not contain it. We would not be able to stop it. We carry the responsibility to be the light. Brothers and sisters, if this church, if each member, every part, every joint, every person who claims the name of Christ and that identity does not open their mouth and proclaim the gospel and just leaves it to the guy on Sunday to put on a show, we should close the doors now. Quit looking for the next pastor to come in and throw some magic beans in the air and get that gospel beanstalk back up. But we leaned in together. And proclaim the gospel with authenticity because when people hear us, they can see it in our lives. Why? Why am I just throwing these haymakers right now? Why can't we just go with the status quo? This church has been around for 140 years. Why can't we just keep it up? Brothers and sisters, look where that's got us. I'm going to talk about this a whole lot in the coming years, coming months, coming weeks. Next year, this church celebrates 140 years of ministry. 
take a look at what's happening in our culture and in our society. You take a look at what's marked this church family. Brothers and sisters, if we don't think forward, if we don't think forward and embrace what God's doing with the gospel to move us in a new direction, to open up our lives and to proclaim outward, to get rid of the things that are holding us back, the, the idols in our life that are pulling us down, if we, don't, if we don't give ourselves to this mission, brothers and sisters, we will not celebrate 150. We are guaranteed nothing. And we can't rely on old life to do the old thing. But every member, every part that calls on the name of the Lord as their Savior and calls this place home has to live a gospel life that's moved to proclaim his excellency. Now, why? I was going to get there and then this happened. Why? Three reasons. Number one, the glory of God deserves it. His name is worth proclaiming. Whether or not anybody ever believes again, his name is worth proclaiming. Number two, Jesus, the resurrected Messiah, commands it. Again, that should be enough. But three, the lost, they deserve it. We owe it to them. That's what the Bible teaches in Romans chapter 1, verse 14. Paul says, I am under obligation. I am in debt. I owe them. What he means by that is God gave him a message specifically to send to other people. And as long as he was holding, holding on to it, he was in debt to them. Brothers and sisters, you're in debt. If you have that identity, you have been shown that much grace, the riches of his grace, you owe somebody but you don't know god you don't know yourself you owe the people around you who do not know those riches of grace and salvation to testify to jesus's excellency and as long as you hold it to yourself you're in debt we must proclaim the gospel brothers and sisters imb just sent me a report this week 155 thousand people die daily without Jesus. Do you know what that means? Two people every second without Christ. Two more. John Piper wrote, missions exist because worship doesn't. And if worship is the number one priority, the glory of God is the number one concern of our church family, then missions and evangelism must exist so that more worship takes place. The glory of God is so worthwhile, we cannot be satisfied to keep it to ourselves. We need to declare with the psalmist, Psalm 34, verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Proclaiming the majesty of God, brothers and sisters, is what we were saved to do. Listen, I'm going to say something very bold. 
That is why any opposition to this way of life, this way of thinking, any opposition to this direction is from Satan himself. God has saved us to move outward. So fast you're not even going to be able to believe it. How do we do this? Three ways that we can proclaim his excellency. Pray for those who proclaim. Give to those who proclaim. And get up and be the one who goes and proclaims. When is the last time before God you asked him, what should my role be? Have you really given him the freedom in that? Have you asked God where he wants you to be in his mission to proclaim his excellency? Young people, prime of life, endless open doors. Have you stopped for a moment and stopped thinking about what you want to do with your life and ask God, what does he want to do with my life? Older people, have you stopped asking that question? Because it's all done? Have you given God the freedom over your retirement to do the same thing? Where are you going today? Where are you going this week? What would it look like if you went there like Jesus himself sent you? What would your conversation sound like if you went there like the Christ put you there? Brothers and sisters, this is not a call to do more. This is a call to be who we are more. God has made us this. So when you leave today, wherever you go for the rest of the week, think like a missionary. Invest in relationships like a missionary. Pray for the people around you like a missionary and proclaim the gospel like a missionary. We have been called to go to every square inch. Can we just sit still and let someone else go? May it never be. May we, as a people for God's own possession, exist to proclaim his glory. Let us pray.